The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Join us as Pastor Randy Rehm shares truths from God's unchanging Word. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord, I give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. And the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food to those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. He has shown His people the power of His works and given them the inheritance of the nations. The works of His hands are faithful and just. All His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, be forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people, and he has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Fear the, Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. You'll see why later why I read that. So we're in John uh, chapter 11, actually. We're going to start in 11. Uh, verse 55 and go through uh, verse 11 of, of chapter 12 just so we can can get the context of the main part of the story that we want to cover today so when you're there please stand john chapter 11 starting in verse 55 now the passover of the jews was near and many went up to jerusalem out of the country before the passover to purify themselves so they were seeking for Jesus and were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will, will he not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priest and the Pharisee had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so they might seize him. Verse 1 of chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary then took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure or genuine nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have, but you do not always have me. 
When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. You may be seated. Now, I, I gotta let you know, this is at least the second time Jesus has been anointed. Previously, in Luke 7, John the Baptist is still alive. And you know that story where Jesus is actually in the house of a Pharisee and a sinful woman comes up behind him as he's... Rel- now, if he's re- reclining at the... We sit up at a table. They tend to, like, lean on pillows. So Jesus' feet sticking out. And the gal comes and begins to wipe his feet with her tears and then anoints Jesus' head with expensive perfume. So this is at least the second time. Some argue that there's a third time. In, in Matthew 26 and Mark 14, others say those are recounts of this same story. And, and I don't claim to be as smart as some of these people, but I know this is at least the second time this has happened. But it also marks a shift in John's gospel. Up to this point, John has been focusing on these seven signs or miracles that show that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. From this point on, he shifts, and everything else in John here is the Passion Week, that last week when Jesus is crucified and resurrected. So it shifts from that pattern of, and this was another sign, it moves to that. So we know that the Passover is near. That's how we started in verse 55 of chapter 11. And many went up to Jerusalem out of the country. Well, that's a previous statement from the previous verse that, remember, they were wanting to kill him, so Jesus left there and went out in the country of Ephraim, which is about 30 miles north of Jerusalem. So, so I think what they're trying to say here is Jesus, along with other people from out of that part of the country, were coming up to Jerusalem uh, for Passover, in particular, they were coming to purify themselves. And because in, in those days, you'd travel and you can become unclean by dirt, by contact with the wrong people. And some of the laws from the Old Testament, you had to have at least six, seven days to purify yourself before that. But the main conversation here is really among, in that first few verses, isn't really about that. It's the people. They're, way, they're hanging out in the temple, going through their purification process. Do you think Jesus is going to show? I mean, he's made all the other ones. He's been here for the previous Passovers. John tells us of those and the other feasts. But now we all know there's been an order to give him to arrest him. They want to kill him. Do you think he'll show? And that's the setup here. And that context where everybody knows they want to kill Jesus, Jesus heads for Jerusalem. He heads to Bethany, which we've learned is just two miles uh, northeast of Jerusalem, where Lazarus was raised from the dead, where Lazarus, Mary, and Martha live. Now, as this story begins, is it at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house? We're not sure. It sounds like it. It implies that, but we can't be certain, and thus some people thinking the other two times, one Mark and Matthew, is a retelling or another telling of this same story. But it makes sure we know it means Lazarus, the guy that was raised from the dead. Apparently there's other people in the community named Lazarus, but they wanted you to understand that. 
and that it's six days before the Passover. Okay, that's before the triumphant entry that's going to come up. And uh, six days before Jesus is crucified, nine days before he's resurrected, because he's in the grave, three days and three nights. It tells you that on purpose, that it's before the Passover, when the Passover lamb is killed. Jesus is killed on the same night as the Passover lamb, thus the illegal trial. But that has relevance to what Jesus says about Mary's anointing of his feet. So they're at dinner. Now, they're not the only ones. It just tells us that Lazarus is one of those people that's reclining at the table with him. Martha is serving. Another reason why we tend to think it's at their house, because she's serving. Now, it doesn't mean she couldn't go somewhere else and help serve. Okay, she tended to do that. All right. And so as they're sitting at the table, now, I I want you to also understand uh, that culture. Typically, uh, when the men gathered, the ladies didn't, necessar- didn't necessarily, not always, but didn't necessarily eat with the men. They, they served. I remember uh, when Timothy, the first time he and I, I think, I think it's when we were out in Gupita, and I don't, I don't remember, and, and uh, you know, the ladies are out, they're cooking over at Coles outside and really working hard to make this food, and, and, and they put it on the table when we sat down, and the women, dis- and the children disappear. It's just the men at the table. And I think I offended them by, by bringing my Western idea of equality and, and saying, well, can all have them come? No, 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 no. It's a different culture. And so we, we don't tend to grasp that. So they're sitting, reclining on pillows around this food. Where, and Mary comes in. Okay, now again, if he's reclining, she's, you know, if I'm sitting down, the picture I gave the kids, sitting in a chair. Okay, that's... Uh, Mine goes there, but probably not sitting in a chair. Now, it's unu- not unusual to wash, some, wash someone's feet. By this point, they've probably already been washed if he's reclining at the table. And in some cases, if you've traveled a long way, they'd wash your feet and put a little perfume on your forehead because you stinketh from your travel. Okay, They're not going to wash all of you. They're going to wash your feet. So that's not unusual. It is unusual to wipe them with your hair, though, I would say that. Um, and it tells us this is a pound of pure nard. Well, first of all, a Roman pound is only 12 ounces. But think about 12 ounces of liquid. So that average water bottle we all drink out of, what, 16 ounces? So, so at least three-quarters full of that. Pop can, somebody says. All right. And this nard, I'm going to try, try just because the scientific name for that. Nardostachys jadamanus. I don't know if I said that right. King James calls it spikenard. It's a uh, flowering plant in the honeysuckle family. And underneath the, these roots, it sends out these root finders. And, it, and it, actually, there seems to be more plant uh, below it than there is above it, of this hairy root system that comes out. It grows in the eastern Himalayas of Nepal, China, and India. I'm thinking about this a minute. My brain starts to hurt. Wait a minute. If you, I don't know if you all can, some of you probably can, find Jerusalem on a map on the edge of the Mediterranean. Where are the Himalayas? Over here! I just took a straight line to the closest point I can get to the Himalayas. 2,400 miles. And a time when you walked everywhere. That's, that's where the plant comes from. Uh, once you get to the Himalayas, you've got to climb up to an elevation of at least 9,800 feet. 
almost 10,000 feet up before you can get this plant. Thus, it's expensive. Makes that point. We learn later because of what Judas says, it's worth 300 denarii. Well, a denarii is a day's wages in those days. So almost a year's wages. All I got to do then is go to the Idaho Labor and, right, and get their statistics, Bureau of Labor and Statistics. The average Idaho wage, yours might be different because this is an average, is $143.79 a day, multiplied times 300. Here in Idaho, what she poured on Jesus' feet is worth $43,137. Now, you might make more, so there'd be more for you. You might make less. The gal, Mary, pours $43,000 worth of perfume on Jesus' feet. Just ponder that a minute. The whole room is filled. Okay, I know we tend to think of houses uh, in Christ's time with these little bitty square boxes. But you realize they usually had courtyards. Matter of fact, they've dug up Peter's house. You can look at it online. And, and there was a main, that's where they would be eating in this main area. Often open-aired, we don't know if this was, but it, the smell of this, the aroma filled the whole area, whether it's indoor or outdoor. Then there's, you know, there's so much of it there, she takes her hair out. She, she does what? Come on, we, we all, every, every, every movie you've ever seen from the Bible, the ladies have their hair covered, right? We're familiar with the Middle East today. They cover, uh, oh, an honorable woman did not let down her hair in a public place. Thus, in the previous story, when this sinner woman comes and wipes his feet with her tears and anoints his head. Her hair is down, it seems. The Pharisee goes, if you were really a prophet, you know what kind of sinner this woman is, and Jesus forgives her sin. After he tells a little parable. But this, this is Mary. She's an honorable woman, and she lets down her hair to wipe his feet. And when you, when you just put this picture in your head, I think most of us have pretty good imaginations. Okay, whatever you think a Middle Eastern room looked like in that first century, people reclining, not just Jesus and Lazarus. He was one of those who was sitting around. And you're, you're, you know, you're dipping into the common pot. You're not eating with knives and forks on a plate. And the woman walks in, and wow, then the smell gets you, that, that aroma. Now, Y'all been around somebody's put on too much aftershave or perfume. I would imagine it's pretty potent if you're that, that close to them. Then you watch this woman let down her hair and wipe his feet. Now, you've probably already heard about the other story, about the sinner woman. But you know, this ain't a sinner woman. This is the sister of the guy sitting over there who was dead, that Jesus raised from the dead. So what's the response? We get this response from good old Judas. And it makes sure it tells us that Judas here, Iscariot, that is Ben Iscariot, son of Iscariot, because they don't use last names. You would be, you know, son of. So Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was betray him. John makes sure he's told us this all the way back in chapter 6 when he talks about Judas at that time. I want you to know, this is the guy that's going to betray him. It tells us again twice in the next chapter before it ever gets to the story where he's actually doing it. Why was this ointment not sold for the 300 denarii given to the poor? You know, it sounds really good. It sounds moral, ethical. 
Oh, come on. We should all give our wealth to the poor. Oh, nobody ever says that, do they? Unless it's their wealth, then anyway. It sounds really good, doesn't it? It it sort of feels good, the idea of giving that much money, $43,000 to the poor. Imagine if you went down here to the homeless shelter or the food kitchen and handed them $43,000. It sounds really great. Matter of fact, it may have, they have, may have done this before. Because when at the Last Supper, just right before, when they're talk, Jesus is talking about who's going to betray him, some of the disciples think that Judas is going out to give alms to the poor from the bucket. So it's so something apparently that they thought he would do anyway, or has done. His, his idea is even biblical. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever gives to the poor will not want. Proverbs 28 and 17. Blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Proverbs 14, 21. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? 1 John, same author, by the way. 1 John chapter 3. He's not saying anything that's unbiblical. Matter of fact, it's even Jesus' own words. In Acts, Luke reminds us, remember the words of the Lord, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. I mean, Judas can say, this is Bible, guys. But the next verse gives us Judas' motive. Jesus said this because he did not care for the poor because he was a thief. I, this, I'm sorry, this flashes me back to chapter 10. When Jesus says he, the shepherd, but, but the thieves climb over the wall, and the guy that's in it for the money doesn't care about the sheep. I'm, my mind, maybe yours doesn't, but mine, mine goes there. He was a thief. He was stealing from the offering bucket. He was in charge of the money bag. It also says this in chapter four, 13. I want, I want you to consider this for a minute. Jesus has selected the 12. He already knows who's going to betray him. He says that, chapter 6. He, he chooses Judas on purpose. And, and, and people are giving to the ministry. Well, guys, who do you think we should be in, put, put in charge of the money bag? Let's just assume for the sake of argument they're from America, so they have to vote on it. Well, you know, Judas here seems pretty trustworthy. Let's give it to him. And Jesus agrees to that. Somewhere along the line, John figures out that the guy's pilfering from the money bag. Jesus probably knows it, I'm sure. Why would you allow them to give the money bag to him? Remember, he portrays Jesus for money. The guy's got a money problem. You know, and I know, I know we all think we don't. And I'm not saying you do. But, but where can you go today where there's not a camera above the cash register? Whether it's in a gas station, it's in the... Minimart, the grocery store, not just banks. The guy was stealing from Jesus' ministry fund. I, I, you know, I don't know about you, but you know, we give to missions, and if I found out somebody was stealing from the, where we give it, I'd, I'd end that real quick. I mean, we have, we have an annual meeting every year to give you account of every penny. So you know we're not doing that. Where is his heart? And he doesn't care about the poor so apparently if he has gone off and gave money to the poor before like the disciples think he's doing later I, hey uh, judas why don't you why don't you you know that money came in the other day why, why don't you go give x amount you know to the poor over there sure 
And along the way, put a little in his pocket before he goes and gives it to the poor. Years ago, my parents ran a Christian bookstore. Those are places you would go, and there were books on the shelves, and you could buy them. Um, number one thing stolen from Christian bookstores in those days, I think it's still this the way today, Bibles. I know, we're different than Judas. We wouldn't steal from, but we steal Bibles, apparently. I hate to tell you, it's probably not the convicted felons running into the Christian bookstore to steal Bibles. Just saying. This is the only place in Scripture outside of his betrayal of Christ where anything's recorded about Judas doing anything wrong. We got a better story than that on Pete, on Peter's denial and the three times. And there, there's nothing in this scripture from the outside. Anything would be going, yeah, that guy, you got to watch that fella. Apparently they, did, they didn't see it. They had trusted him with the money. Jesus' response. Now, your Bible might read different, and it's all about whether it's aorist tense or perfect tense or so on, and I'm not getting into all of that but the implications end up being the same. Jesus said, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. That is the Holman Christian Standard Bible rendition of that. Some say, so that it was kept, or so that she might. It means purpose. The purpose she has this was for this. Now the question is, does she know that's the purpose? Some want to argue that she knows Jesus is going to die. I, I don't think so. I think this is more like when Caiaphas, the high priest, says, isn't it better, the previous chapter, isn't it better that one man die than the whole nation? And this was prophetic, the Bible tells us, but Caiaphas didn't know that. So, so I, I think, Jesus says, I know you thought you were, matter of fact, you didn't even use it when your brother died. That was one of the main things this was used for. Some argue that this may have been her inheritance, her dowry, because it's pretty spendy. But she didn't put it on her brother when he died, because in four days he was stinking. You could have done a lot with that. But, but Jesus is really saying this. You, you know, you've saved it for my burial. Wait a minute, you're here. Yeah, but it's coming. Pre-anointing, if you will. Then he says this. It seems a little cold. The poor you'll always have with you, but you won't always have me. By the way, it shifts from the singular to the plural, the language. So he's talking about singular Judas. Now Jesus goes, and he says, leave it alone, singular, Judas. Now let me give you the plural. Y'all, you're going to always have the poor, but I'm not always going to be here. That's actually uh, from the Old Testament. And there will never cease to be poor in the land. Deuteronomy 15.11. But I won't always be here. It's about priorities, I think. And it tells us that a large crowd had learned that Jesus was there sometime during this meal. <laughs> Maybe the smell wafted out into the community. I don't know. They learned that Jesus was there. But it says this. Uh, they came, the crowd came, not just because Jesus was there, because they wanted to see Lazarus. So the crowd's bigger now, not just because Jesus is there, but after raising Lazarus, I want to see, I want to see a guy that used to be dead. Does he look like a zombie? You know, I... I heard he does miracles, but this one I get to see walking around. So it wasn't just Jesus. They wanted to come see Lazarus. Lazarus' own testimony was having an impact. It actually tells us that. Because on account of him, Lazarus, many Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Therefore, the chief priests planned to kill him. 
What did, you, what did Lazarus do? All he did was get sick and die. That's all he did. And they want to kill him. They want to kill him because of what Jesus did for him. Not because of him. He did nothing. He was dead. But they want to kill him because of what Jesus had done for him. Let me put it this way. He was targeted because of his testimony. You don't want a guy walking around telling, you know, Jesus, while I was yet dead, that he raised me from the dead. Go, 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 read, go read Ephesians, will you? Well, we were yet dead in our sins. Christ died for us and made us alive. In him, the same power resurrected him from the dead, raised us from the I want you to think about that a minute. All he did was get sick and die. He didn't make Jesus come raising from the dead. Jesus comes raising from the dead. Now he's on the hit list of the bigwigs. The local mobsters got him on the list simply because of what Jesus did for him. Get ready. And I guess that's sort of one of my main points of application. People are going to despise you because of what Jesus has done for you. Well, what makes you think you're so special? You self-righteous people, you're always judging us. Uh, no, you, you don't understand. I didn't have a thing to do with it. I'm just telling you that he saved me, that he transformed me, that he made me new, that I'm no longer like I used to be. I, I know you're mad at me uh, when I came back to the high school reunion and I wouldn't drink with you all anymore, but you don't understand. Jesus changed me. Well, we don't want you to hang out with us because you're judgmental. I didn't do anything but tell you what Jesus did for me. Your testimony of what Jesus did for you will cause people to despise you. You will get on the hit list because for some reason, they think you're saying you're better than them. No, no, you're, you're missing it. I'm just as awful as anybody else. It's Jesus in me and transformed me, but they'll never hear that. Matter of fact, if you're in particular doctrinal line, you're telling people, I was smart enough to pick Jesus and you're not. See, Lazarus couldn't say that. See, I, I was smart enough to have Jesus raise me from the dead. Yeah, he and I cooperated on the deal. No, I had nothing to do with this. That's my salvation. I had nothing to do with it. Jesus raised me from the dead. I, I was stinky and smelly like you all, and just, he just raised me, and, and you don't like that? I think another thing there in the practical side of this, I think, is many people can look religious on the outside, enough where you trust them with the money, and they know Scripture, and they can say those things that sound really good. Today, I think sometimes we decide what's good, what's moral, what's right, and how it feels. We talked about this a little bit on, on Wednesday night. But, but, you know, nobody wants to be bullied, right? So anything that might be interpreted as some kind of bullying must be bad. Now, I'm not saying bullying is good. True bullying is good. But, you know, we don't have to give participation trophies with everything. It's, it's determined to be a good thing to do that because everybody gets to feel good. So, therefore, it must be good. But then also the person that worked really hard gets nothing more than anybody else. That's called socialism. The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Join us as Pastor Randy Rehm shares truths from God's unchanging Word. 